You may be seated if you're here. Uh, and at home, you're probably already lounging on your couch or your bed even. So uh, continue to make yourself comfortable. Um, last week, we began a new series, Yearning with Affection. And uh, I'm eager for this series because I believe it's going to help us as we move back into physical presence with one another uh, on a more continuous basis. Glad for it. There's some great lessons in the life of the Apostle Paul. And we got into it last week talking a little bit about identity and how our identities are formed. And there's this remarkable thing. We, we know that we are a thing. Um, we have this incredible gift of self-awareness, which is very unique in the created world. Uh, think about that, that we can, we can be uh, aware that we are a unique individual. And yet, we don't know what sort of significance or value or worth oftentimes to attach to this thing that we are. And, and, and it seems like over and over again, we're trying to answer that question. Um, uh, what, what gives me significance or value or worth in the world? And we look to all kinds of sources to determine that. We talked about some of these last week. We talked about, you know, our competencies. I shared a story about how uh, in recent times I was taking one of these personality tests and it caused, I, I felt a kind of an anxiety about it. And I realized I had attached my value and my worth to a particular kind of outcome. And it was good for this to be shaken up in me and for me to have to think a little bit more about where my real value and worth lies. We, we attach our value and our worth to our achievements. Last week, we celebrated the graduates, those who are graduating, uh, most of them from Cal, but other places as well. And uh, that's a wonderful, exciting time. But we have to be so careful, don't we, not to wrap our identity around uh, a diploma and to think that that gives us a sense of value or worth. We talked about physical attributes and how sometimes we can find uh, or not find our sense of worth and value in, in who we are physically. Um, it could be superficial things, tall, short. Um, it could be uh, the deeper things like uh, our, our ethnicity or our gender. Uh, all of these flow into this, this pursuit we have. Something deep inside of us is yearning for a sense of significance and self. And amidst that kaleidoscope of the different sources of the self, there is this one bright light that outshines all of the rest, that, that surpasses all of the rest, that, that has the ability to sort of override all of the rest, that, that pushes back all the, the messages that bombard us and, and reaches down to the very deepest parts of our being. And, and this source of self is not an it so much as a who. And it's, it's the God of the universe, the Lord, the, the maker of our, our very beings. And what we discover that even though all of those different sources of the self are important in their way, and it's, it's valuable for us to understand them, to dig deep and, and have a nuanced sense of how we've become who we've become and what makes us unique. Uh, the deepest thing, the most important longing that we're seeking to have answered is to have someone who has the insight and the authority to affirm us in a way that nothing else can. And that's what we find in the Lord. 
So we turned over to this beautiful passage last week in the book of Ephesians, which is one of these remarkable identity formation passages. And we, we made our way through it. And in the beginning of Ephesians, we discovered that God views us as his chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed children. This is a, a phrase we've been using actually since the beginning of this congregation. We are in Christ. If we're in Christ, we are God's chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed children. That's more true of us, it turns out, than anything else. And so when we experience the bombardment of the various messages of the world that seek to define us this way or that way, my encouragement was for us to remember the identity that we've been given in Christ. And let me just make a statement for those of you who are maybe um, in kind of that space where you're seeking God. Maybe you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, maybe you're, you're, you're exploring the scriptures, but haven't felt like you really understood them. You're sort of in that, that space of journeying. When we talk about being in Christ, here's what we really mean. Um, the journey with Jesus starts when we have an awareness, when we come to that place of awareness that um, we've fallen short of God's glory, that, that, that the reason the world is in such a mess is because human beings are sinful. And that we have, we have failed to meet the mark of what God intended for us as humanity. Um, that's a hard message for us to receive oftentimes. And even me just saying that might cause you to bristle a little bit. Um, but the good news is that the Lord God in the person of Jesus Christ has come to visit us to make himself available to us, to pursue us, and ultimately to offer himself an atoning sacrifice on the cross to atone for that sin which ends up, which has separated us from God. So that's the beautiful good news of the message of the gospel. It's a humbling message, especially at first, but it's, it's the way that this whole journey begins. And so uh, I always like to say, if you're, if you're in that process, of pursuit and discovery, everything that you're now thinking about and pursuing and trying to understand will ultimately lead you to that point of decision where you come to understand Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's the common way that we talk about it. So that's what it means to be in Christ. When we're in Christ, then we view ourselves as these children of God. It's a powerful, powerful part of the formation of our identity, the greatest way. So, so far, so good. The point that we're making in this series is this. And the series is called Yearning with Affection. It's a phrase that comes from Philippians and the writings of Apostle Paul. The point that we're making in this series is that the church has a very unique role uh, in, 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 in that part of its job is to mirror to its members what God says about who we are. Part of the job of the church is to mirror to its members what God says about who we are in Christ. We can't be God to one another. We, we don't have the insight and the authority to be able to declare over one another uh, in sort of an eternal way uh, what our identities is. But we can mirror what God has said about us to one another. And we do that. We take that person-affirming posture in word and deed with one another. This is what Paul's doing, the Apostle Paul, um, when he yearns for his brothers and sisters with the affection of Christ Jesus. He yearns with the affection of Christ 
Jesus. And the question I want to explore today is how we might nurture, that's the key word, how would we nurture that same kind of heart for one another that Paul has and that ultimately is traceable back to Jesus Christ and the heart that Christ has for us. This is going to be a really simple sermon. It's just two points. Affection, here, here's the thing. How do we, the question is, how do you nurture affection for the brothers and sisters in the community of faith? And one of the key ways, the secret that Paul seems to be sharing with us throughout the course of his writing in the New Testament is that affection comes as we pray. So affection comes through prayer. And then I'm going to say, just to kind of drive this home with some application, and and we'll get a little bit uh, detailed in that, but prayer comes with intentionality. So affection comes with prayer. And prayer comes with intentionality. And this is so important as we begin to come back together. Our home group was meeting this last week. And I just had this tremendous joy of seeing people's faces and being able to interact. And I, I was longing and missing. And I was amazed at what that does to a person when we can be in the presence of one another. We're experiencing that a little bit here. In the coming weeks, we're going to experience that more and more as we open up and we're able to gather together and use our whole bodies to relate to one another and have community together. So this is such an important thing for us to grapple with, this, this important role that we have with one another in, in mirroring what God says about us to one another. And we nurture that with prayer. So affection comes with prayer. Would you open to 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 3? 1 Thess- Thessalonians 1, verses uh, 2 through 3. As Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he says this, and this is just by way of his introduction. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have pulled out your Bible and you've got a pencil in your hand, underline the words always and all and constantly. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Always. Prayer always includes intercession for others. That's what Paul is saying. All. No one is left out in this intercession. Doesn't matter, you know, if you're insignificant seemingly or you're a lofty person, if you're if you're strange or you're normal, if you're young or you're old, it doesn't matter. Nobody is left out. Paul says he prays for all of them. Everyone gets prayer. Isn't that a cool thing? Everyone gets prayer. Constantly. There is never a moment when the brothers and sisters don't need prayer. There's never a moment when we don't need prayer. And so part of the debt we owe to one another is to persevere in prayer for one another and not give up. I want to drive the point home a little bit further by reading a few other additional verses uh, on this subject. And you find this in the beginning of most of Paul's letters. And just let this sort of wash over you uh, as you think about the person of Paul and the affection with which he yearns for the people, the brothers and sisters that he's writing to. 
He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is in Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. You see these superlatives over and over again. Making my prayer with joy. We learned that as we studied Philippians, that, that Paul's joy is the people around him. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's so excited about what, what God is continuing to do in their lives as he brings his work to completion. Colossians 1, 3 through 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. 2 Thess Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And, and this verse, this phrase, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That's exactly what we want to see in this coming season. And the love for every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we, are, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And then one more. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 through 12. To this end, we always pray for you. There it is again. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we would just pray for one another, we'd find ourselves having the kind of affection for one another that Paul had for the Philippians and the Colossians and the Ephesians and the Thessalonians, right? If we would just pray and sit in prayer for one another, we would find ourselves uh, having that kind of affection. This is how we nurture our affection for one another is by praying for one another. It's pretty, pretty simple. I want you to take out a piece of paper or take out your phone or device, whatever you have, and open up a, a blank note. And I want to invite you, and this is going to, we'll talk about how we're going to apply this in a little while, but I want you to in, think about 10 to 20 people in the community of faith that the Lord may bringing, be bringing to your attention right now that over the course of this next week, you could pray for consistently. 10 to 20 people. And, and I'm going to ask you not to include family members in this because our focus today is on praying for the brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want you to pray for your family members, but I want you to reach out past that. And then one other challenge I have for you as you come up with this list is to pray for people Maybe, maybe three to six of them on your list would be people who you are finding difficult to relate to in this season right now, okay? Take a minute and write down some names. Don't overthink it. Just let the Holy Spirit prompt you.
Okay. You can keep writing if you're not done yet. Um, if somebody comes to mind later, that's fine. Make sure you put that list in a prominent place. We're going we're gonna to look back at it. We're going to think how we're going we're gonna to live it out in, in a little bit. But here's a couple important points I want to make uh, that come from Paul's example in all of his writings. The first one is this, simply that prayer is more about people than we often realize. Prayer is more about people than we often realize. At least that's been the case for me. Um, Don Carson writes, there is a school of thought that treats prayer as a discipline in which to excel without consideration for the focus prayer ought to have on people. It encourages prayer because prayer is thought to do a great deal for the person who is praying and devotes little thought to those for whom the prayer is offered. Or it encourages meditative, contemplative, worshipful prayer on the ground that prayer is rightly directed to God. However, this thinking does not consider our attitude toward people or think through the place of intercession for others. So he's not saying that, that those, those types of prayer that are more individualistic and, and vertical are wrong. He's just saying that in the example of Paul, we have a balance of both of those. He goes on to say, one of the remarkable characteristics of Paul's prayers is the large portion of space devoted to praying for others. Of course, one can find Paul offering simple praise to God and imagine Paul praying for himself. One could look further afield, the Psalms perhaps, and observe the considerable space given there to praise and to request that serve the interests in part of the one who is praying. But Paul's prayers are outstanding for the large part of intercession for others and thanksgiving for others that play in them. I couldn't find out how many people Paul mentions uh, in his writings, but the number is extraordinary. The number of people that Paul, I know at the end of the book of Romans, for example, there's at least 30 names that are mentioned. These are people who are partnering with Paul in ministry. And he, when he's saying, I'm praying for all of you, he's praying for all of these people on a regular basis. He's constantly praying for them. And so when you get to a book like Philippians that just drips with this kind of affection, this love, he's just, he can't wait to be together with them. It comes out of this long, prayerful posture he has towards them. So prayer is more about people than we might have realized. And everyone is called to prayer. One of the things that I marvel about Paul, that I find so inspiring about, inspiring about Paul, is this, this affection that he has for the people that he writes to. And, and this series really grows out. The genesis of this series is that I was reading in the book of Philippians, and I was blown away by, you know, as I say, how Paul's words just sort of drip with this affection, this love for the people that he's writing to. And then I went over to the book of First Thessalonians, and I saw the same thing. And I started skipping through, and over and over again, I'm just seeing Paul. And, and here's the thing about Paul. You know, we always think about Paul, the apostle, as a very strategic and kind of task-oriented guy. I mean, those of you who've ridden, 
read the New Testament, have you sort of come up with that conclusion that Paul is probably one of these really intense guys who was always on the go, always achieving the next task, always accomplishing the next thing. I mean, if you think about Paul in today's terms, he probably would have been, you know, some sort of ruthless businessman if he didn't, if he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. In fact, he was that before he came to know Jesus. He was a ruthless Pharisee who was chasing people down who were giving themselves to Jesus Christ and, and, and putting them uh, out of business or even taking their lives. So when you think about these letters in which he's dripping with this kind of affection, you have to realize the, the transformation that the Lord has brought in his life and his heart. And so you might be sitting here or maybe at home and you might be thinking, well, I'm not the kind, I'm not the kind of person to love in that way. And the reality is, is that none of us can in our own strength. What we need is to encounter Jesus Christ. Paul says he yearns with them, not with the affection of Paul the apostle, but the affection of Jesus Christ. He yearns for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. So don't think that you can't do this. You just need to find the way, which leads to our second point. Prayer comes with an intentionality. I wish I knew uh, how Paul always prayed, how he prayed for everybody all the time, and how he, he was consistent in this day in and day out. My guess is that he tended to live in a pretty tight-knit community. He had partners in the gospel who were with him day and night. And, you know, given the signs that we have um, of how the early church functioned, probably they had a regular rhythm, either getting up in the morning and praying together or in the evening they would spend time praying together. Whatever the case is, in order for Paul to be saying what he's saying, he must have spent a tremendous amount of time praying for people. Because he had a huge list of people that he was praying for. And he says over and over again, I always pray for you. So he must have spent a tremendous amount of time in prayer. And if he did pray in that way, uh, like I'm suggesting, then he probably would have uh, stumbled a, a, across a simple way to overcome some of the barriers that we encounter when we set out to pray for the people around us. And in the same book that I quoted from Don Carson, um, he mentions two prayer impediments. And if we can overcome these then I think we'll, we'll move a long way into increasing the extent to which we're praying for one another. And that's going to have transformational impact on our community together. So the two are, the two impediments are this. First of all, lack of a plan. And second of all, lack of focus. And I know, you know, I always feel this gets into the area of sort of pedantic um, talking through the mechanics of how we do this. We, every now and then we have to spend a little bit of time grappling through what does our prayer life actually look like? How are we going to be faithful, constant to pray for the people around us? So you've got your list in hand and I want you to think through with me how you might overcome some of the common barriers, the lack of planning, the lack of focus. Um, you know, without a plan, we, don't, we, we typically don't drift into prayer, right? It requires some intentionality on our parts. And my opinion on this whole intentionality thing is that it's very unique to our own kind of personality type and the rhythms of our lives. 
Um, and so we have to, to kind of spend some time thinking about what does prayer look like given who I am. To give you an example of this, there was a long season uh, in the life of this church where I had a unique way of praying for the people in the congregation. When we first started, we were meeting the community center in Albany, and we would often gather out front, and it was a small church, and I would watch people drive up and park right there. And and I've always been kind of a car guy. So I just, without trying, would remember which kind of car everybody would have uh, in the whole church for the most part. And so then I'd be out on my bike, biking around, and every time I would see a car that matched the car of somebody I knew in the church, I would pray for that person. So it was, it was just a little way to, to remind myself to pray as I'm going about my business for the people in the congregation of the church. So if you had a, like a blue Prius uh, at that time, you got lots of prayer, right? That's one crazy idea. Um, what works for you to be continuous, consistent, constant in prayer for all the people in the community of faith? Um, lack, of a, lack of focus is the other one. I was sitting on Friday, my Sabbath, uh, on the patio, and my dog was there, and I'm, I'm watching the dog. The sun is coming out. It's starting to warm up the concrete and the dog is just sprawled uh, on, the, on the patio there. And she's looking at me. And then her eyelids start to droop a little bit. And then she actually starts to bob her head kind of around like this. And then, you know, boom, she's out. How many of you had the experience when you set out to pray of just doing exactly that? Right? You begin to pray and then your head starts to bob. Your, your eyelids start to rest and you're out. And so what can we do to keep focus in prayer? What can we do to keep focus in prayer? I think Paul has probably one of the greatest solutions. If, in fact, he was praying with others, which I assume he was doing, then that is one of the best ways for us to keep focus in prayer. And if this is, if this is a real struggle for you, then maybe the best thing that you can do is simply acknowledge that I have a hard time praying alone. I need to find somebody to pray with on a regular basis. Uh, and so um, grab an Emmaus partner. Uh, grab somebody in your home group. And now we've sort of opened up the door, you know, to being able to jump on Zoom together. Um, we have some groups that have been praying uh, over Zoom. And it's wonderful. And, you know, you could take 15 minutes in the morning just when you get up, meet with a friend, and pray for 15 or 20 minutes together before you launch into your day. Pray for the people on your list. Um, and you'll have that accountability. And you, so you'll have a plan, and you'll have, you'll have focus um, because you'll be together with others. So people, this is, this is the great strategy for increasing your prayer, is to pray with people. But if you are praying individually, and my guess is that most of our lives in, uh, involve both uh, corporate prayer and individual prayer, uh, mine does, um, yours probably does. Um, it seems to be what, what, what God has for us. Jesus went off and prayed uh, on his, his, uh, by himself. And so we see this rhythm of corporate and individual prayer. And what you discover is, you know, that if you pray out loud, even if you're by yourself, it may be a little awkward at first, then you'll have an easier time staying focused on prayer. So for some of you, that might be a simple tool for you. Um, Jody and I are loving, you know, I talk about our long walks all the time. We go on these long walks. And part of those walks involve, it involves praying out loud together. You know, we'll be walking down Solano Avenue and people don't know. We'll just stop for a second while we're walking past somebody. So we'll totally freak them out. And then we just keep praying um, together. 
Um, the thing that has been important to me is writing out my prayers oftentimes. And so many of you have a prayer journal. Um, again, this is the mechanics, but we, we, we got to deal with the mechanics sometimes and just be reminded of how important these things are. Get a prayer journal, write down a list, pray, write out your prayers. You won't fall asleep as easily if you're writing out your prayers. And then uh, lastly, fast and pray. Fast and pray. You know, throughout the life of this congregation, this has probably been the most impactful thing for me as I pray for our church. Um, it used to be that uh, I pray uh, and fast each Wednesday. And I'm not even a great faster. Um, my wife will tell you uh, it took years for me to get to the point where I wouldn't become very irritable at the end of the day uh, by fasting. Uh, and so, you know, it's something I've had to really work at. Um, and I don't even fast that long. I usually break my fast by dinner time. So once maybe the sun goes down or when dinner happens, I'll break my fast. Once in a while, I'll fast all the way to the next day. Um, but I'll tell you, nothing has transformed my prayer life like fasting for the church, for the community of faith, for my own spiritual growth once a week. And so I'm telling you right now that I am going to recommit myself because during the pandemic and over the course of this last months where it's been so challenging and my schedule, my life has been turned upside down so many times, I've gotten out of the habit and I'm really missing it. So I want to invite you, some of you maybe prompted by the Holy Spirit to join me in this, to, to fast with me on Wednesdays and to pray in particular this week for this community of faith, to pray for individual people. And I love what happens. I keep a, I keep a little yellow pad next to me. And, uh, you know, the hunger pangs come frequently throughout the day. And every time they do, it's like a little bell going off. It's a reminder to pray. And, and I'll just, I'll write down on that pad of paper the names of people that I'm lifting up in prayer. And throughout the course of the day, that list grows and grows and grows. Those, those situations that I'm involved in where it just feels like we've come to maybe a person is struggling with something that just seems so impossible and I, I love them and I want to help them, but I don't know what to do. I don't have the skill or the capacity in my own strength to fix their life, uh, to, to engage in the brokenness that they're experiencing. And so finally, I, I go to God and I say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can and I'm praying and I'm fasting for you to move in this person's life. To hear their cries, which are my cries too. I'm longing for transformation in there. I'm longing for transformation in my life. That's always part of the journey too. But I'm longing for this other person, Lord. Would you, would you meet them in their brokenness, in their pain, in their suffering? And one of the, one of the most hopeful and beautiful things about fasting and, and praying is at the end of the day, I have this sense in which I have taken those burdens and laid them, taken them off of my narrow little shoulders and, and laying them on the, the broad shoulders of Jesus Christ who can carry these things that I can't carry. You know, I honestly tell you that has kept me in ministry throughout the years. Because if you don't do something like that as you're praying with people, what happens is either you, you get overwhelmed by people's struggles and your survival mechanism is to close off your heart. Right? That's the only way you can survive. You get overwhelmed. Oh, and then you stop loving. You stop having that affection because it's too much for you. 
You can't handle it. So the call for us is to, just like Jesus, to enter into the brokenness and the pain and the suffering and the loss, to enter in. But God knows we can't hold all of that. So then we give it to him in prayer. See, that's the journey. And what happens through the course of that, such a beautiful thing. I love our home group. We've got this WhatsApp, you know, group and the prayers flow in our home group and people are just saying, pray for me and this and that. And we're digging in, we're praying, we're, you know, you could just feel when we're together and somebody is expressing something that's really hard in their lives. Um, You guys heard the story of Emma Uh, And, you know, her journey last week, we've been praying with Emma. We've been praying with each other. We've all got brokenness. We've all got pain. We've all got suffering. And we, we, we pray. And guess what happens through the, 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 the time of prayer is the affection that we have for one another begins to grow and deepen. And then, There'll be those moments when, you know, we, we show up at home group and this thing that we've been praying for, suddenly God has moved in a spectacular way and we share with the rest of the group how God has moved. And because we've all been invested in this thing together, there's this joy that just spontaneously erupts on the faces of the community of people around us. And guess what? In that moment, What we're seeing reflected, mirrored in the faces of the brothers and sisters in Christ is the affection of Jesus Christ, right? It's the affirmation of the Lord right there, mirrored in the faces of the community of faith. And we know in that moment that we have significance in Christ, that we have worth, that we have value in Christ. And then we stop looking in all these other places where we try to find and meet those needs and always coming up short. See, this is what's at stake when we say, let's pray for our brothers and sisters. We're talking about the very transformation of our our self-understanding, which comes through the body of Christ as we go to the Lord for one another in prayer. And that is what you are being invited into this week and the weeks after, perhaps on a new level, to be praying for one another. God, we cannot do this in our own strength. There's no way. So we come to you today we open ourselves up. We say, Lord, have your way with us. We want to we be like Paul. More than that, we want to be like Jesus. We want to love with the kind of love that Christ manifested on that cross as he hung, offering himself, living sacrifice. It is into that kind of, that depth of love you have called us as we minister one to another. So we pray, Lord, that it would, be, it would be true that our love for each other is increasing as we pray for one another. 
have your way with us. You are good, and we're here this week. Teach us to pray. We ask in Jesus' name.